How y'all doing? I'm Paul Ryan, your host of the Across the Cowboys podcast. We are part of the Across the Board Sports Podcast family. Uh, to our regular listeners, I'd just like to say welcome back. And to our new listeners, thank you for, for joining us today. Uh, some of you may know, some of you may not. Uh, this is not a one-man show. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Mike the Pig Crumb. Mike, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing all right, sir. Can't complain. And uh, Mike, for the people who don't know, where can we find you at on Twitter? I am uh, at CD Piglet. Nice and easy, easy to find. Yes, sir. And again, I am Paul Ryan, and you can find me at Paul underscore Ryan 15. Now, guys, uh, some of you may know, again, that, you know, Mike and I, we like to joke a lot about how much we uh, we like food and talk about food. And we've even talked about even maybe doing a uh, food-based podcast. And so Mike and I, we were talking, talking last week and we decided to add something um, to our Monday recordings. And for those of you who already follow Mike on, on Twitter, he does this thing. It's called a meatless Monday. Now, Mike, if you, if you, if you can kind of break that down for everybody, what is exactly is meatless Monday and what is the purpose for it? So for me, I, I kind of just try to do it. So I don't have anything. I like the, uh, the idea of going a day with, um, you know, trying to eat healthier <laughs> didn't happen today, but for the most meatless Mondays, I'll make like a roasted cauliflower, you know, whole roasted cauliflower. Or like, um, I have these, uh, tater tot type things that are, that are made out of cauliflower. I try to do some like rice, veggie stir fries or some healthier risottos, omelets, you know, but, uh, today didn't work out that way as well. I also don't drink soda on Monday. That's a thing I'm really trying to cut down on. I, I drink too much, uh, the Coke zeros and Pepsi max. Um, so I'm trying to keep myself limited. So meatless Monday, I don't do soda. I try to knock that down a little bit. Uh, and I'm doing my best. It's tough, but that's basically what it's for. It's just, uh, one of the goals I want to add to, uh, keep myself healthy. I'm diabetic. So, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And Mike, I know there's a, uh, you know, please forgive me. I know there's a chef that you fo- you uh, you were using some of his recipes last season when you were posting a lot on Meatless Mondays, you know, just sharing um, your kind of your meatless journey, if you will. Uh, what was on the menu today? Uh, that's Chef Michael Simon. That's, that's, there it I, is. I mean, I, I have a lot that I'm big fans of that I follow. But uh, Michael Simon's probably my main go-to. He, he just makes really good food. Um, and like I said, today I didn't go too healthy. I, I had a hankering, uh, and a hankering is old white person talk that means uh, I'm in the mood for. I had a hankering <laughs> for pancakes. So oh, really? a couple okay. pancakes. Yeah, they're protein pancakes, so they're a little bit healthier than like you would get at Denny's or whatever. But they're really good, and I, I was in the mood for them, so I had those. And uh, I made a cheese quesadilla for lunch, which is definitely not healthy because I put cheese on the inside and then I top the tortilla with cheese. So it kind of gives it a crust. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not healthy at all. So I have not done good of being a healthy meatless Monday eater, but I haven't had meat and I haven't had soda. So, I mean, that's, you know, we do what we can. Hey, progress is progress, Mike. I am curious. Uh, what is your uh, cheese of choice when you're making a quesadilla? Oh man, everything. This time was pepper jack cheese. 
But yeah. Yeah. Whatever is in there. Typically what happens is I come up with a dish that I want to do using a specific cheese. I use it in the dish. Whatever's left over becomes quesadillas the next week, unless I'm doing something that I could use cheese in otherwise. But that's basically how it works. It's funny that, you know, when we decided to do this last week, I'm making these like, you know, like a barbecued whole head of, of roasted cauliflower or, uh, or, or a pesto gnocchi, you know, and we're talking about it. And we're like, man, we should add that to the beginning of the show. And, so, and the first day we do it, I'm like, yeah, pancakes and a quesadilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, not quite on the healthy side, are we? Yeah, yeah. And not too unique either. Like, oh, yeah, what are we doing for Meatless Monday? You know, give some people some ideas of some, you know, yummy food. And like, oh, yeah, I, I made a pancake. And you know tortillas and cheese. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure Michael Simon has a recipe for that somewhere, right? Yes, he does. He actually he really does. I, I'm I have all his cookbooks but one, and it was his earlier one. I just haven't got it yet. But man, that guy's. I'm starting. He has a reset cookbook. It's called Fix It with Food, and, and you it starts off with a 10 day reset. And I did it at the beginning of the year. And I was supposed to do it in July, but I had all this dental work to do. And that's done now. So starting August 1st, I'm going to go back on that 10-day reset. And that's no flour, no uh, sugar, no um, meat, uh, no dairy. And you think like, oh, man, how do you eat? No, almost every recipe in that reset, 10 days, three meals, I loved. I think there was one where it just wasn't enough food. It wasn't that I didn't like it. But just the recipes were great, and it and it's to help with in, uh, inflammation. Like uh, I have neuropathy, so I get in a lot of pain, and so that helps clear everything out. So you know to help with that, and um, and I'm hoping it goes well. You know I did it once, and I was able to get through it. The hardest thing is not having coffee or soda. Both of those are knocked out. And oh brutal, wow! But yeah, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll make it happen. I'll be pissed by the end of that, though. You're going to be on here. We're going to be doing one of the divisions in like two weeks, and I'm going to be day eight into the 10-day uh, reset, and I'm just going to be in a horrible mood. You're going to be like, what's wrong with this guy? Well, I appreciate the warning, Mike. And, guys, just, uh, again, you know, here in a couple of weeks, if Mike seems on edge, we all know why. Yeah, I'm be freaking out about Dak not getting his podcast done. You're like, or uh, sorry, his contract done. There's gonna be like, man, that was over weeks ago. What's the matter with you? And it brought out the fury. <laughs> it poked the bear, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mike, here we are. It's episode 11, and this is actually episode four of our NFL division breakdown series. Um, in episode one, we discussed the NFC West, and we had the uh, San Francisco 49ers as the best team in this division. Episode two, we talked about the AFC West, and we had the Kansas City Chiefs as the best team in that division. And then the episode three, we, uh, we actually had a, a disagreement there, but we broke down the AFC South. You have the uh, Houston Texans as the winners in that division. I actually have the Colt, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, this week. And we'll be talking about the NFC South. And uh, just to remind our listeners there, you know, the NFC South has the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the New Orleans Saints, Atlanta Falcons, and the Carolina Panthers. 
So, Mike, here we are, and uh, we're going to start off with the uh, New Orleans Saints. In 2019, they were 13-3. and They were eliminated in the wild card game by the Minnesota Vikings, and their 2020 strength of schedule is the 24th easiest. Mike, talk to us a little bit about the New Orleans Saints in 2020. Saints are loaded. They're stacked. Their team is really talented, really deep. They don't really have a weakness, maybe some depth issues at uh, wide receiver. Minus that, you can go down their line, and it's just they're, – they're brutal everywhere. They, the funny thing about the team is they've been known for their offense so long, and I think their offense is the weak point now at this point. Their weak part of their team might be Drew Brees. How scary is that? Yeah, not not something you you hear would hear most people say. Yeah, it's a it's a longevity thing. What happens is the more throws he makes, the more he gets beat up by the end of the year. You know, when it gets in the playoffs, if you, if you really follow, you know, and really paying attention to the Saints, Drew Brees is not the same quarterback at the end of the year, the last couple of years as he is to start. He starts like a house on fire. He's just dominant and then as the as the games go on you'll see more teams able to uh kind of bottle the offense up uh a lot of that maybe had to do with the fact that they didn't have as many weapons at wide receiver and now adding emmanuel sanders is going to open that up even more but if i had to pick out a weakness i'd say it's the age of the quarterback um they went through i i mentioned emmanuel sanders they added winston uh to take over for bridgewater in case Breeze uh, is out a couple games. Um, I know they brought in Malcolm Jenkins, which is just a, such a good move. Like, that's a championship move right there. Malcolm Jenkins is an excellent safety, and you bring him into a, a secondary that has uh, Lattimore, uh, Janoris Jenkins, Marcus Williams, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, DJ Swearingen, uh, Swearinger, uh, PJ Williams, Patrick Robinson, I, they're just they're, – they're a disgustingly loaded team. Uh, and even their draft, they get Cesar Ruiz. It, it's kind of – I won't say they didn't drop off a little bit there because they end up losing Warford. And Warford's a, a really, really good uh, right guard. And for whatever Cesar Ruiz will be, I don't think he's going to be Warford year one. Um, so that's a little bit of a drop off. And then they get Trotman to build under cook because cook's aging. He's only got a couple years left and they get Zach Bond and adding Zach Bond to Davenport, Jordan, uh, Demario Davis. I mean, they're, they're just a disgusting team. They're, they're lost. Their roster's loaded. They're as top tier as it gets, uh, especially in the NFC, but they're up there with Kansas city and, and Baltimore, they're a loaded team. They're going to be hard to beat every week. Well, Mike, you know, we, we joke about this every week, but you know, we, you and I don't share notes. And again, of course you brought up Emmanuel Sanders. He was one of my three key notes is adding him as a legitimate wide receiver too, because we, we haven't seen Traquan Smith uh, be the player that, you know, the, the uh, fantasy community, if you will, has been wanting to see. And he hasn't really been a, consistent wide receiver either he had a strong rookie campaign and then he had a bit of a sophomore slump so uh, to bring in a, a piece like that adding that that type of uh, weapon to uh, Drew Brees' arsenal is always is always good and then you talked about um, 
the uh, drafting of Cesar Ruiz and Zach Bond. That was, again, that was on my keynotes. And then, of course, last but not least, I thought the addition of Malcolm Jenkins, the uh, a veteran safety, adding to that secondary. You mentioned him, you know, again, and he said that's a championship uh, championship move. I couldn't agree with you more. But when you were looking at the uh, 2020 schedule of the Saints, where, where did you end up there? What was your prediction? Uh, I have them going 11 and five. Um, there's a few key marks that I that I put down. I know um, there's a tough game they have against the Chargers, but the Chargers have got to go to Tampa, so they're going cross country the week before. They go to New Orleans, so cross country and then back to back road games. I think gives Saints an advantage uh, at home. Um, I also have another one where they play the Bucks, and you know those division games are going to be brutal. Well, the Bucks have to travel to Oakland, then to the Giants. So they're going back-to-back cross-country trips, and then they're off a short week when they face New Orleans. So uh, I think New Orleans is going to have an advantage in that game. Uh, some of their disadvantage weeks, the Niners play them off 10 days rest, which is not going to be fun. Niners have a pretty damn good roster themselves. They match up really well with the Saints. Uh They play Falcons off a bye, which is not going to be easy. Um, I think Saints have a better roster, but division opponents, and you get an extra week to work on them. And uh, there's another game where the Saints play uh, three straight on the road. Uh, They have at Denver, at Atlanta, and then they finish that road trip at Philly. And Philly's a pretty tough team. I think that's going to give Philly an advantage in that game. So that was kind of the – the key games that I went over all tough teams to play um, and a lot of division, but in the end, I have them going 11 and five. Yes. It's again, we didn't share notes, but I also have the Saints at 11 and five. And what I thought was the going to be a tough part of the schedule where we could see how how the uh, playoff teams line up is weeks 14 through 17. The Saints play three playoff teams. And week 17, you know, that could possibly earn them the, uh, you know, depending on how, the, how those weeks go, that could be a, uh, a week where they, they find themselves getting a much-needed um, bye week. You know, with the new playoff format, only one team gets, gets the bye week, not, not like two in years past. So week 17 could prove to be a, uh, a big game this year for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I agree. I think they're at Carolina then, right? You know, I I didn't um I I, I haven't let me see. My, yeah, it's at Carolina. That's the game and they and uh, okay. that that'll be interesting too because Carolina, you know, they're going to want to go into the off season with the new coaching staff and stuff. People are going to be playing for jobs then and right. so they're not just going to come in and lay down, I would assume, unless they're uh yeah, they're not going to be really going for a number one overall pick unless they want to trade it. They just signed Teddy Bridgewater, so them like trying to tank for a quarterback doesn't really make sense with the money they gave him. So I have a feeling that uh, that won't be a walk for the Saints uh, if they happen to need it um, to get the one bye week uh, that you were talking about. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Panthers. That's who we're going to be talking about next. And, um, you know, I can't see them – going into the season with that losing mentality, they, they've got a, a good young quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, we saw him. He took the Minnesota Vikings to the playoffs one year, and then we saw him last year 
in place of Drew Brees. So he was able to uh, lead them to a, a 5-0 and record, if I'm not mistaken. And you look at right. the weapons that Carolina has with Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Ian Thomas, and then they, they went out and signed Robbie Anderson. There's a lot to work with there. But before I say too much, let's go ahead and talk about the uh, 2019 Carolina Panthers. Uh, they went 5-11. and uh, they missed the playoffs, and their 2020 strength of schedule is tied for the 18th easiest. You started to talk about it a little already, Mike, but what are your thoughts on the uh, Panthers in 2020? A lot of turnover. Uh, I, I feel like they're doing a rebuild uh, this year. Um, offensively, they're actually, like you said, you went through the names. They're, they've got pieces. It's their defense that is going to be an issue they went through – you want to talk about – I was talking about turnover. Okay, Newton, Eric Reed, Bruce Irvin, James Bradbury, Mario Addison, Gerald McCoy, Don Terry Poe, Greg Olson. All, yeah. Almost all of those are big names and vets and all gone, and they brought in Robbie Anderson, Bridgewater. Uh, they drafted Brown and Matos and Chin and Troy Pride Jr. Even Bravion Roy, I'm pretty big on. I think he's going to make an impact. If I remember right, didn't they go all defense their whole draft? I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they picked every pick on defense. Yeah, I'm, I I can't remember them drafting an offensive player. I'd have to agree with you. Definitely if yeah. they did draft one, it's not one of, um, you know, that, that stands out by any means. Yeah, so you look, I think that the, that the <clears throat> new regime understands what's going on. They like their quarterback in Bridgewater. They like D.J. Moore. They like Robbie Anderson. They like Curtis Samuel. The offensive line is not terrible. It, it really isn't. <clears throat> they have Christian McCaffrey uh, and even uh, Ian Thomas, good young uh, tight end that I'm hoping has a big year considering our best ball fantasy draft. And, uh, <laughs> and they know that they can compete offensively. It's just the defense. I mean, they're, they're, here's their secondary. Dante Jackson, rookie Jeremy Chin at safety, journeyman Trey Boston, who I like, but he's still, he's been on a different team like the last three years for one-year contracts, and then Eli Apple. Yikes. That secondary is not good. Even if you think Chin is going to be a player, you know, a small school guy coming in first time and not a lot of help around him, um... Brian Burns is young. Uh, he should uh, be a good player, but I would give it – he's going to need some time before he's really a big impact guy. I like Derek Brown as a starter right away and a contributor, but he's still a DT, you know, coming in with not a lot of help around him. I, I don't really like their linebackers either, if I'm honest. You know, I could go through the names, uh, uh, Whitehead and uh, Shaq Thompson and uh, Haynes. Eh, you know, so bringing in there's a reason they went all draft on defense. If if this defense hits, you could have a Seattle situation where they build up a Legion of the Boom defense. Their offense is solid and they go make a run in a year or two. But it, it is going to be a year or two. I see them as as rebuilding. They'll look good on offense. They'll have some big games where they outscore some teams. But for the most part, their defense is just going to get them beat up. And what was your uh, record prediction for the Carolina Panthers in 2020? I have, Carol- I have Carolina going 4-12, and 
the only real <laughs> notes that I noticed, it's really it's hard to get uh uh notes on teams like this because you know they're they're at a disadvantage roster wise so much. But there was a few like Falcons have to go from Green Bay uh and then off a short week in their first game against Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then in game two, the Falcons are a road Thursday night football game, which I always uh bet I, I I it's hard for a road team to come in on Thursday night off a short week, travel and win that game. So mm-hmm. both the Falcons games, Falcons got kind of screwed over against Carolina and their and their stuff. And um there was one other one like Bears are off ten days rest, so that'll be tough. But I would expect Bears defense to be good enough to hold them down and, and the I don't know what the Panthers defense can do against uh even a limited Bears offense. So I didn't really have too much knockdown as far as travel and stuff like that in the schedule because they didn't have too much of that this one. This is just on the fact that I think they're rebuilding, and I just don't think their defense is, is at the caliber to, to, to win games this year too much. Well, Mike, here we've agreed again. I, I also had the, the Carolina Panthers going 4-12 and 12 in 2020, wow. and what, what I had when I was looking at their schedule weeks five through eight, it's very tough. They play the Falcons twice. You mentioned that. They play Chicago. You mentioned that. And then they also have to play the New Orleans Saints. So that is just – you talk about a young team. with you, you talk about all the turnover on defense there and how young they are and how raw they are. I mean, it's not going to be easy for them. And, again, even with the best offense, uh, you, you think about New Orleans defense. I mean, what is Teddy Bridgewater going to be able to do against them? You look at yep. Chicago, you talk about their offense. I mean, what what is Teddy Bridgewater going to be able to do against that defense? And then look at Atlanta's offense against Carolina's defense. I mean, it's just not not a uh, easy stretch by any means there. And um, what, One thing I did find interesting, as bad as Kyle Allen did look last year, uh, you know, Carolina did only lose five games by single digits. But, again, we talk about the turnover on defense, and they lose Keekley, they lose Ron Rivera, and they lose Cam Newton, you know, the three leaders who have been the leaders of that franchise and for the team for the past, you know, five or so years to lose all three of them. I mean, with this young team, it's just uh, – it's going to be a long year. There's gonna, they're going to be exciting on offense. But, again, like you've mentioned, that, that defense needs a lot of work. Yeah, it's uh, – it's, and, and you said it well. They, this year is about reestablishing a new voice. That voice has been Ron Rivera and Cam Newton for a long time. And now it's, it's Matt rule and Christian McCaffrey. And, and then they have to get one on defense. Somebody's right. got to become that. And uh, people have got to grow into that and into their roles. And, uh, and it just is what it is. Like, you know, if a Carolina fans on here and they're like, Oh, here's a podcast talking about the NFC South. And now they come on and just, get their whole year ruined understand that you know these transitions could be good you know one of the reasons um uh uh teams go a long time without sustained uh without success is because they don't break it down like that let's shatter this one thing and rebuild it back up instead of just uh uh there was a old um uh thing that i would say where you know, you can limp around with the knife in your leg and it's going to hurt you not as much, but it's going to hurt for longer. Or you can pull the knife out and it hurts like a son of a bitch for a minute, 
but then you can let it start to heal, you know, and then eventually the pain will go away. Well, I feel like Carolina decided, you know what, pull the knife out and let's heal. And this is their healing year. And then they can go from there. And I, I do, you mentioned the hiring of Matt Rule. I also, they did bring in the offensive coordinator, Joe Brady from LSU. I, I like it how they hired an offensive-minded head coach and then they paired him with an offensive-minded offensive coordinator because we saw what happened with Mike Vrabel and Matt LaFleur where Mike Vrabel was a um, – he's kind of a – I don't know, would you consider him – I wouldn't consider him an offensive-minded coach, but he – he knows how to run an offense. I would say he's more defensive-minded than Matt LaFleur. Yeah. He's an offensive guy, but even then, he he doesn't really – he hasn't had a lot of success running an offense, but they were just not that great of a match. And we saw the season that the Tennessee Titans were able to have when Matt LaFleur moved on to Green Bay. So I do like um, the additions of Joe Rule – excuse me, um, Matt Rule and Joe Brady. It'll be uh, – it'll just be interesting to see – how they um, decide to build that defense and, you know, what what pieces on the defense are they going to be able to build around? You know, we, we talked about Derrick Brown. That was somebody that, um, you know, had he fallen, you were hoping the Cowboys might draft. And they've got some upside pieces there on defense, but it's just – it's not going to be a um, – it's it's a rebuild, be, rebuilding year for Carolina Panthers. And for the, for the Panthers fans who are listening, guys, we're – again, like Mike said, we're not trying to break you down, but – you know, we're just being honest, and this is kind of the expectations that we have for Carolina in 2020. Yeah, just look past this year. You know, look at it, see it for what it is. Watch your defense to see who comes out and plays and who gets better every week. And watch what they come up with on offense because, like like you said, Paul, those two offensive minds are nice, and they have guys. Bridgewater's a good quarterback. McCaffrey's the best there you have right now. Uh, more. Samuel, they brought in Robbie Anderson. Like Ian Thomas is, it should be a good tight end. Uh, you know, so watch it, enjoy it, wait for it to build, and uh, and just be hopeful for the future that that rule works out and that Brady works out. Because uh, if it does, then you know you're gonna have some fun. The the people forget Matt Ryan. Uh, uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees are getting up there and you don't know if you're going to hit on another quarterback. So Carolina could be up and coming at the right time. And in two years, while everyone else is looking to refine a quarterback for their aging quarterback, they could be the one that jumps up into the spot. You just never know. Right. I mean, the, the NFL, we've seen crazier things happen. You mentioned the ages of, uh, Brady, Breeze, and and Matt Ryan. Teddy Bridgewater is still pretty young, and you know he suffered that that pretty gruesome injury, and he hasn't really been a starter since then. So he's still somewhat fresh, and now he's getting an opportunity to to start again. And you look at the again, we we've talked about that offense. Given him those pieces, there's a lot of things to be excited about as far as the offense goes in Carolina. I agree 100. That you're excited on one side of the ball all of 2020. So enjoy that. Well, here's another team, Mike, that um, I don't know if they're rebuilding. Uh, maybe this is the, uh, an all-in year for them, but here, here come the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, 2019, they were 7-9. and nine. They missed the playoffs, and in 2020, their strength of schedule is the uh, fifth most difficult, the NFL not doing them too many favors there. Uh, talk to us a little bit about Atlanta. Atlanta is a missed opportunity, man. 
They, I just want you to line this up. How's this sound? Okay. Matt Ryan at quarterback. Nothing wrong with that. Todd Gurley at running back. If he's healthy, nothing wrong with that. You're, you're pretty set there. Uh, tight end, Hayden Hurst. Not bad at all. The offensive line, Jake Matthews, Carpenter, Mack, Lindstrom, uh, McGarry. Not terrible. That's, they, they built that up pretty well. They even got they even drafted Matt Hennessy to be, you know, Alex Mack's been injured off and on uh, last few years. So you, you draft a Matt Hennessy who could, you know, come in and uh, he looked good as a center. He's one of the ones I thought uh, Dallas would have interest in if it fell right to them. Um, and, and they get him. So now imagine a wide receiver core of Julio, Calvin Ridley, and C.D. Lamb. Oh, my ah. Lord. Now their, their wide receiver core is Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Crickets. I, I, Gr- Russell Gage, Laquan Treadwell. I mean, he, had, he was a first-round pick, but he's done nothing. And his, I, I, you want to talk about, you know, you say don't draft for need. And, and believe me, uh, Atlanta needed a cornerback. They lost, uh, they lost, uh, uh, Trufant, I believe it was, and they needed to replace them. And I totally understand that. I get it. CD lamb was sitting there. You took AJ Terrell over CD lamb. Do you, you want to talk about like Carolina Panthers plus forget the defense Julio Jones Calvin Ridley, CeeDee Lamb, Hayden Hurst, Todd Gurley, Matt Ryan. Forget the defense. The defense can make a play every once in a while. You're put your team 40 burger. You're literally team 40 burger with that lineup. Look, I love Michael Gallup. I, I, I'm fine with putting him above uh, Calvin Ridley, but Calvin Ridley and him are both excellent. And Calvin Ridley's a first round talent. Julio Jones better than Amari Cooper. Hayden Hurst is better than Blake Jarwin. So passing-wise, if you add CeeDee Lamb to that, oh, my God. I can't, I am still baffled that they let CeeDee Lamb go for A.J. Terrell. And I feel bad because I'm one of the guys that were like, if Dallas took A.J. Terrell, if Diggs went, I, I think Diggs is a better prospect. I did then. You can uh, look that up. I'm not 50-50. My team picked him. Diggs, Henderson, um and uh AJ Terrell were all ones that if we drafted him at 17 I would understand that it was an overpick but in a year they would be good cornerbacks and it wouldn't be a big deal nobody would be like oh you got them here they would be solid cornerbacks they could start Diggs or or him or Henderson and you would be happy so I didn't even I don't even hate him there it's the fact that you let you, you don't put a Band-Aid over your defense by bringing in A.J. Terrell when you could have just empowered an offense. I mean, to almost unstoppable levels where the defense is like whatever the defense does. If you lose, it's going to be because the defense gave up 45 points. You can live with it. You know, it, it's what you have to do. But they would compete in the division if they just redid this draft over and just took CeeDee Lamb. Because Marlon Davidson was a great pick. Hennessy was a great pick. I'm from Fresno, so I love Michael Walker. I think that in another year, he's he is the type of linebacker that can cover the, cover uh, people 
and stop the run. He's an all-around guy. He's just from Fresno State, so not as many people know him. But in another year in the weight room, he's going to be a starting linebacker that'll that'll be um, like the uh, Niners guy, uh, Fred Warner, where he kind of comes out of nowhere. You know, he's, he's not a, a big name, but he just does really well. I think he could totally be one of those guys. They just messed that one draft pickup, and I'm so, so happy they did. But in evaluating them, it's like frustrating because their team could, could be a playoff team this year. I don't care how bad their defense is with that offensive unit because their defense has players. They're not like barren like Carolina is. They have some players. But they just they, – they shat the bed with that one. Well, Mike, I appreciate that breakdown. One interesting note that I did have for um, Atlanta was last year we saw them start off one and seven, and when I was uh, you know doing my research for the podcast, I saw that what had happened was is a uh, Raheem Morris, a um, part a coach on the coaching staff who has been known to be a more defensive-minded guy, he was moved from the defense to the offense prior to the 2019 season. And again, you know, I mentioned how they go. They started off one and seven. Well, after that, he was moved back to the uh, defensive side of the ball as actually the secondary coach. And we saw the Falcons go six and two there. Now, I'm not trying to say that maybe he was the only reason for that. But, you know, you kind of see that and you see the impact that he did have. You know, maybe we could see the the Falcons defense. You mentioned they do have some pieces, not definitely not their strong suit, but they have some pieces. You know, could they can they improve? on that uh, six and two record, what, what we saw in the last eight games in 2019. Um, but what was your, what was your 2020 record prediction for the Atlanta Falcons? I did still get them to eight and eight. Their offense is still going to be pretty good. And get okay. out of here. Yours is eight and eight. Hey babe, what's my, what does it say right here for a record prediction for Atlanta Falcons? Eight and eight. I can't make it up, dude. <laughs> wow. That's insane. <laughs> How is it? I don't okay. believe it, dude. You know what? We won't break it down, but I just want to know what your record is for the Bucks. Oh, you want – okay, before we get into it, before we break it down? Yeah, I actually we won't break it down. I just got to know. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I actually have them at 12-4. and four. Okay, we're different there. All right, we'll, we'll get back to them. Okay. But we do have them different. Okay. okay. Back to Atlanta and our 8-8. Eight and eight. That would have been crazy, though, if, we, if I had them at 12-4 and four, or you had the same as mine. That would have tripped me yeah. out. Um, eight and eight with Atlanta. Um, because they're often still good, they're just not good enough to overcome. Uh, their defense is just okay. It's just not a great defense. It's I like some pieces. I like Tack McKinley. He, he hasn't done a ton, but he's a solid player. Bringing in Dante Fowler, uh, they're, they're kind of swinging in the wind by trying to get uh, Charles Harris, too. I don't know how that's going to work out, but over the middle, um, in the middle of the field, having Grady Jarrett and then uh, Deion Jones and then Keanu Neal, if those three people stay healthy, uh, the middle of the field's covered pretty well. And um, they just they, they don't have good corners. Their best cornerback's a rookie, A.J. Terrell. I mean, Isaiah Oliver, eh. Uh, Jordan Miller, eh. Um. I don't love their edge rush. Dante Fowler's okay. Tax okay. Alan Bailey's okay. Charles Harris hasn't done anything. Um, so I just don't think their defense is great. 
And if they had Lamb and their offense, if they tried to strengthen a strength and they went all out, I think I can convince myself that they'd get to 10 wins and, and compete, uh, you know, for a playoff spot. But with their offense just being good, um, you know, and an injury away, they're just not deep enough anywhere. If they lose a running back, a tight end, or one of the two main receivers, they don't have guys behind them that are that great. So uh, I have them at eight and eight, and I believe that's what their roster is. Their roster is just an eight and eight roster. I I don't even have anything marked. Their, their schedule's not crazy. I know I had some of them in their other ones, uh, the Carolina games and stuff. But mm-hmm. the only thing I put down is the four ending games are Chargers, Bucks, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Uh, uh, yeah, so that that's a brute. I I can't see them if they got a split in that last four, they'd be happy. That's a brutal last stretch, and and uh, three of them are on the road at Kansas City, at Tampa, at Chargers. So eight and eight was the best I could get them, uh, uh, and I think that's about what they are. They're an eight and eight roster. They they didn't go for it in the draft with Lamb, and and it's gonna hurt them. Yeah, when I was looking over the roster, again, I have them at 8 and 8 as well. And I noticed weeks 1 through 4, I, you know, I thought I wrote, wrote down the teams I didn't, but I know that they start uh, the first four weeks facing three really good offenses. And then 5 and 11, at um, weeks 5 through 11, their only real tough matchup was against New Orleans in week 11. And I had kind of uh, here on my notes, I had that as the uh, maker breaking of their season there. If they can come out of that with uh, a nice win streak, you know, four or five games, winning those, you know, that, that could, um, again, make or break their season there. But outside of that, I had a hard time giving them or, you know, trying to find where, where they had an advantage over a team. Yeah. It trips me out because I'm looking at my schedule right now and I have them going, uh, what three and three early or two and three early. And then during that stretch you talk about going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and one, and then losing the final four at the end, losing yeah. at Chargers, both Tampa Bay games, and at Chiefs. So we kind of broke it down the same way. The middle of the schedule was where they were, you know, had their chance to make a run, but their start and finish is is pretty brutal. Well, Mike, we seem to agree a lot. Now, you know, we uh, spoiler alert: we have different records for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, certainly, last but not least, here we're going to break down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in my opinion, maybe the most interesting team in this division in 2020. Uh, Mike, uh, uh, excuse me. In uh, 20, 2019, we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go seven and nine. They did miss the playoffs, and their 2020 strength of schedule is tied for the uh, 16th most difficult. Mike, break down the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers for us. Uh, the Bucks didn't really have much of an interesting offseason. Didn't really make any big moves. Nothing really interesting. Oh, uh, some quarterback. They signed uh, – who's that guy? Tom Brady? I don't know. I some think guy. Th- Thomas Brody or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I guess he's going to be their starter. So uh, maybe he'll be better than Winston. I don't know. Winston led the league in yards. So, you know, pretty much even Winston, Tom Brady, same. And Gronk, they brought in Gronk. Uh, He wasn't even good enough to be in the league last year. So 
I'm sure he's not a big signing. He was he was not even in the league. Nobody signed him in in 2019, so he much stink. But other than that, they didn't really do anything other than uh, uh, multi-time Super Bowl champions. Uh, that that's uh, that's about all they did in the off season. <laughs> yeah, outside of outside of signing a, a six-time Super Bowl champion, they really didn't didn't do a whole lot to uh, better themselves this off season, right? Yeah. Yeah, they brought. I, I love the value they they drafted. In all seriousness, they drafted Tristan Wirfs. I don't know how mm-hmm. he got to them. Uh, I don't know how Tristan Wirfs got to them. Um, and they brought in Antoine Winfield Jr. And if you follow me at Twitter at all, uh, there's a group of us that were like the stands for Antoine Winfield Jr. I believe Dalton Miller is in that group. John Williams mm-hmm. in that group. Were you in that group, Paul? Well, no, I just remember you, uh, you know, hearing you and Dalton talk about him. And uh, I believe uh, Jeff Cavanaugh and maybe Kevin Turner as well. You, But you definitely you being the conductor of the train, at least that I saw, you know, you were you were getting me excited about him. That's for sure. I, I love Antoine Winfield. I think he's a player. Me and me and Dalton would go back and forth on who started that train um in my first mock draft i had him going in the first round so i just like to throw that out there for my you know my plus um a little light flex yeah a little flex um the thing about the team is obviously the offense is going to get all the notoriety uh they have three tight ends that could play um they have godwin and evans they brought in tyler johnson my actual pet cat of the draft. I love Tyler Johnson. I think he can come in right away and just kill in the slot for them. Brady loves slot guys. The guy is as he, he is made for Tom Brady athletically. He does nothing numbers wise, but if his hands touch it, he catches it and he route runs with, he's probably the best route runner to ever be drafted as late as Tyler Johnson was. That's how good of a route runner he is. I love him. Um, I think he fits great. They have one single weakness on uh, offense, and it's offensive line. Even with Tristan Wirfs, he's a rookie. Their offensive line is not very good, and uh, if that affects them, they're going to have if they, against certain teams, they're going to have problems during the year. But um, to further to my further point, with all the notoriety that goes onto the offense, people forget that Todd Bowles had that defense humming at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at, at this lineup of Vita Vea and Domicon Sue, Golston, Pierre Paul. Uh, and, and that's a pretty good four. And then linebackers of Devin white, Levante, David Shaq Barrett, who's just was a killer last year. And uh, that front seven is can pass rush and can stop the run, and they're a lot of fun. The back end is not as great. Uh, it, I love Antoine Winfield Jr. He's still a rookie. I expect him to come in and make plays. I also expect him to get picked on a little bit. Um, their cornerbacks are weak. Their safeties are weak. And – if a team can get into that offensive line and get uh, some points ahead by passing uh, on the front seven, they can cause some trouble, but man, they're good. They're they're I I don't, I don't have them on the saints Niners level as far as full roster, 
because they have some big holes, but they are strong where you need to be strong. And, uh, and with Brady taking away the interceptions that Winston brought that hurt the defense, I can't imagine how good Todd Bowles is going to be with a defense when the guy doesn't give the ball up 30 times on interceptions. So it's going to be a fun team to watch, and they're going to be a contender unless Brady's washed or the offensive line just can't protect him at all. They're going to contend this year 100%. Yeah, Mike, so I am curious. Uh, you heard my record prediction. I do have the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers going 12-4 and four in 2020. What is, your, what is your record prediction? My record's a little bit more uh, uh, mediocre for them. I have them going 10-6. and six. Okay. Um, Still making the playoffs, still in it. They don't win the division, but I, I don't have them as good as the Saints. I just I just think the Saints are a better team. I have the Saints sweeping them uh, this year uh, just on how things match up. Coming into uh, <clears throat> the first game, and uh, I know there's not likely to be fans, but still, Sean Payton off that first week is hard to deal with. It's going to be in New Orleans. Um, you know, so that one's rough. Uh, Brady and Denver is three and seven lifetime and Denver's really young and Tampa could go up there and just be too much for them. But early on in the thin air, I, I like Denver to have a, a shot in that game. Uh, Packers and Raiders, they play off the bye. I, I do not like their matchup against the Raiders. I think Raiders match up really, really well against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and having a bye week for Gruden to go against his old team. Um, I think he's going to be really ready for that. And um, mm-hmm. uh, Packers off a bye and that pass rush coming around the edge, especially if the rumors are true and they're adding Everson Griffin to those outside linebackers. Holy moly, they're going to be coming off the edge. So um, those were uh, three of the games where I didn't think schedule wise they were good. And of course, I mentioned the the Saints. uh I like them to sweep Tampa this year. Uh, the only other stuff I have is I know when they play the Chargers, the Chargers got to travel cross country. And uh, in the uh, KC game, which is going to be marquee, KC's got to go to Oakland and then uh, to Tampa. So it's going all the way to the West Coast and then all the way clear to the East Coast. So I like Tampa at home in that game. I just think um, it's a lot to ask of uh, Kansas City to go play a heated rivalry all the way across the West Coast and then have to travel all the way and play a team like Tampa Bay. Um, so I think Tampa's going to get that one. So I think 10 and 6 is good. 11 and 5 is very possible. Uh, there's no reason they can't win that Denver game. Denver's really young and they're going against the GOAT. So uh, I, I put it as an L just how Denver plays, uh, how Brady plays in Denver. He's just not good there. He doesn't like that thin air. And uh, I don't like their offensive line going against Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb. So 10 and six makes the playoffs and they're going to be brutal to play in the NFC. Nobody's going to want to go against Tom Brady in the playoffs. Mikey, you know, you make a lot of points. It's hard, hard to argue with you there. Maybe I'm a little too, too bullish on Brady and Gronk and, you know, being added, to uh, that, that offense that we saw with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And, you know, we saw that that defense really step up last year. So, you know, maybe I uh, 
I'm just giving a little too much credit for Brady because we, you know, him being at the part of his career where he's currently at, we don't really know if he, um, if he has another, another year or two where he can be the Brady that we've grown accustomed to. But um, one, one thing I did have on their schedule, you mentioned travel. This is something I learned from you week seven through 11. They have a really tough travel schedule. Tampa Bay flies from California to New York, and then they fly from New York to Florida and then from Florida to Carolina, and then from Carolina to California. So I thought that was a tough stretch of the schedule there. Again, I did have them going 12-4. and four. I'm sure maybe that Denver game is a game that I had them had them winning only because of the uh, the youth that Denver has. And, you know, I'm not sure. We, we've talked about Drew Locke on this podcast. We're just not sure what to expect from him. And uh, I just think that uh, Tom Brady's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder this year, you know, um, because of how he was eliminated from the playoffs last year. And I'm sure he's, he's heard the, uh, the stories about how Belichick is the reason that he's got all those rings. And I'm sure he's heard the system quarterback talk and you know, all those things. So uh, again, maybe I was a little too bullish on Brady, but again, I do have the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers going 12 and four and then actually winning this division. It sounds like, but which is, which is kind of funny though, because I did have the Saints. I thought that that week 17 game, you know, I had them going 11 and five, but I have that week 17 game, maybe possibly um, getting them the bye week in the playoffs. So obviously both Tampa Bay and New Orleans can't can both get get a bye week. So one of those games is going to be crucial later in the season when they do face off against each other. It sounds like and maybe even both week 17 games for uh, for both Tampa Bay and New Orleans will prove to be um, difference makers this year as well. Yeah, I have them getting off to a pretty rough start. You know, for a 10 and 6, I have them getting off. And then at the end, they go seven straight wins. So maybe this is something where in the middle of the season, if my schedule were to work out how, how I have it, the middle of the season, people are Brady's done. He has all these weapons. They And then the end of the year, he goes boom, seven straight, flying into the playoffs at 10 and 6 when everybody had him out. At, what would that make them? Three and six. So I have them. Damn, I don't even realize that. I have them wow. at one point at three and six after the New Orleans Sunday night football game. And then I have them winning at Carolina, the Rams, Kansas City, uh, Minnesota, at Atlanta, at Detroit, and then Atlanta again. I have them winning those last seven to boom back in. That would be pretty fun. That would be exciting. Yeah, it would. Counting them out, three and six. Brady's done. And then, boom, they go on a Brady championship run through the last seven to fly into the playoffs. That would be pretty fun. Yeah, that would be very Brady-like, that's for sure. Yeah, we're going to talk about what is what is Madden doing? Put a Rob Gronkowski at 95 overall. You see that? I did not see that. Are you serious? I swear to God, 95 overall. The guy wasn't 95 overall two years ago when he played. He was a blocking tight end. Like, 95 overall? That's insane to me. Guy guy was, like, you know, 80s, like like 85, 86 overall. Takes a year off, comes back to him, 95 overall. There's, there's something there, Matt. I love Madden. I get you every year. I'm not, like, uh, like, I don't boycott you or nothing. But, damn, 95 overall. Jeez Louise. Yeah, some of these uh, Madden ratings have been pretty questionable this year, it sounds like. Yeah, that one is top of the list. That is like 
If there was one that like, no, this one's has to change. 95 Gronk, that's insane. That's that's craziness. That fool's yeah, higher no, that... overall than Lamar Jackson. Uh yeah, no, that's that's crazy talk, especially after missing a year of football and then even the year when he was in, you know, he, he was kind of a shell of himself, especially uh, numbers-wise. Now, you, you don't ever want to give up on a guy like Gronk, especially when you think about um, the year that he did have off. He, he seemed to be happy, you know, happy, healthy, and his his mind, uh, you know, his mindset being the best as probably has ever been. So, you know, you can never count a guy out like that. But to, to give him a 95 overall rating, that that's – that, that's they're they're more bullish than I am on on uh, on Gronk this year. Yeah, that's that's if you pick Tampa Bay to go fifteen and one. That's right. bullish. Ninety five overall for ninety five overall for Gronk is sixteen and zero and a Super Bowl win for Tampa Bay. Ninety five, man. Hello, Lamar Jackson won the MVP. What are we doing here, guys? I love Madden. Look, I'm not one of those. I love Madden. Even the cra- years where there it was kind of a crappy one, like the year they had it where it was no friggin' two players at first. Like, what were you doing? Like, no two players. What 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 are we doing here? It's a co-op game. That's the point of it. Is to play with people. Even that year, I bought yeah. a damn game. So I'm a Madden guy. I don't I don't really kill it. But Jesus, 95 on Gronk is like insane. Well, we, let's, we don't want to burn too many bridges, Mike. We, we never know what potential sponsors are out there listening, right? Yeah, that's right. Madden should sponsor us. That would be fun. I still that would be love pretty you, Madden. Cool. I'm like the one person on Twitter that I see that doesn't have the hashtag, like, fix Madden franchise or whatever. Like, it has some issues, but I don't I ain't really caring. Can I, is it a playable football game? All right, I'm happy. You know, it's it's doing its best. It's getting better. I don't mind it. Some of the trades are kind of like, uh, but – yeah, you should sponsor us, Madden. Let's go. Madden will be a sponsor next year for this show. I'm calling it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll put my money on that. Yeah, and Gatorade. <laughs> Let's, just go. <laughs> Let's just go straight football. We're shooting for the moon, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, Mike, you know, every every week we, we like to have the end of podcast discussion. Sometimes it's Cowboys related. Sometimes it's not, but. You know, you mentioned early in the podcast, we're, we're looking at the age of these quarterbacks. We talk about Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Matt Ryan. And you just think about the NFC South and how these teams are built. I mean, and I would imagine in two to three years, one, maybe two, if not all three, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, and Brady will be retired. Could you see any of these being a possible destination for Dak Prescott? Uh God, why are you bringing this up? You, sorry. You know, I, I don't want even want to think about it, but I thought it would make for an interesting conversation. So the Jamal Adams trade? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> the, Dak, the Dak Prescott thing. Ugh, how they didn't get a deal done? I I just don't understand. Like looking forward, you don't see like what the tag hit is going to be next year. And what contract you had a chance to get this year compared to next year. And I'm frustrated. I I mean, to me, looking at it, it's hard to see them not signing Dak Prescott. It, it, it baffles me that it didn't get done like baffles. It's like, 
seriously, it's um, uh, it's mind-bottling to go Anchorman. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't get it. The guys topping everything. He's a top five. He gets better every year. He's as good as you can ask for off the field. There literally is no one better. There's people as good. There is no one better than Dak Prescott off the field. He's never any issues. He never says anything bad. Uh, even the kneeling for the flag, he could have easily, as an African-American leader of a team, could have been like, said, nope, stood behind Jerry. Like, everything he hits the mark, every single thing. And he did it with a coaching staff that limited him because poor GM ownership didn't get rid of coach earlier and get him a better one to develop him even better, you know, and they don't have it done. So now, you know, you have to look ahead. Brady, obviously, you're talking two years from now. That's about when he's going to go. Breeze might be this year if they won it all. At most, he's another year after that. So he's going to be open. He absolutely would be one with a roster like they have. Uh, And the money tied up, especially for the Saints, it would be around the same as if they went out and got a Dak Prescott, you know, a yearly because it would be high for – for Breeze right now, you know, Bucks would have to find some more room because Brady took a deal for him. Uh, I, I have a feeling Matt Ryan's going to be there. He'll probably be there another three, four years. Uh, I'm not really worried about him. Um, but those two teams, if they were winning and doing well, even if they didn't win at all, if their roster was still solid and they were contending teams, I could totally see them throwing the bank at Dak Prescott if Dallas was somehow – they're already shown they're stupid enough by not getting it done now, but if they're somehow stupid enough to let it go through another tag year and him hit the open market, I absolutely see either of those teams going after, uh, going after Dak Prescott and spending big money on them to just come in and, Hey, you're going to be the guy, a Kirk cousins with Minnesota, Minnesota had a, had a, a loaded roster. And they said, you know what? Kirk cousins, we think can come in. Well, imagine a better, in my opinion, a better Kirk Cousins, a better leader, a, a person who shows up more, a better winner. I know the whole eight and eight thing last year. That that team was dead in the water with Jason Garrett. It was two years too long, and we were in the uh, division lead the year before. So that tells you how good the team was. Um, but yeah, uh, they can definitely be suitors for Dak Prescott in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like it would be very Cowboys-esque if, you know, let's say that we, we make it to the playoffs and maybe we're one and done and Steven decides that he wants to either franchise tag him or, you know, offer him a below-market deal and and upset Dak. And, you know, Dak just finally has had enough. And, I, I you know, I could see him leaving and going to New Orleans, going to his hometown and, being in that culture with that team with Sean Payton, the head coach and everything. And, you know, his first year there, them winning a Super Bowl. I mean, I just feel like that's, that's exactly what would happen. And uh, I just, um, you know, like you, it's frustrating that a deal didn't get done. Of course, I want Dak to be a cowboy for the next 10 to 15 years. I just, I thought, you know, looking at these teams, a the quarterback situation, I thought that would make for an interesting uh, discussion. You know, what could Dak do with, with these teams, you know, give it, if he were to leave Dallas, you know, what could he win a Super Bowl with, with any of these teams, if they had an opening up. Uh, Saints, Saints, definitely Saints roster, Teddy Bridgewater. If he came in for Drew Brees would have a shot at a Super Bowl 
with that roster. That they're loaded. As long as they're healthy at their at their uh, receiver spot, if Michael Thomas doesn't go out, um, they're they're loaded up. So uh, they're deep and full on defense. And Dak Prescott, man, he he deserves that. Honestly, like if he gets lowballed again, and the sad thing is, we know he will. If he takes a deal with us. It won't be a fair market deal. It'll be below fair market. And you just make it up by being a Dallas Cowboy. So, you know, your future money and endorsements and the way you get um, things like Witten got the Monday Night Booth, Tony Romo got the CBS, uh, Michael Irvin is, you know, Darren Woods is on first take all the time. Cowboy, you, you know, being a Dallas Cowboy comes with that. So you may take less market, but he's going to get lowballed. And if he does again, and he goes, you know what, I'll just take a tag. And then, and it does like fracture the relationship, like really, really bad where it's over. He deserves to go to the saints, pick up, win the super bowl with that roster. And it's like you said, his hometown and it could be a movie, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Steven Jones can be the frigging stupid, ignorant villain that everybody hates. <laughs> Cause that's the idiot. what he is now. I love the at not be trite. Have you seen the picture he puts up for Stephen Jones? No, I haven't. What is uh, it? The the fish thing. (laughs) I'll have to check that out. You have to go on at night be not be trite's page. And anything that talks about Stephen Jones, just look at the picture he puts. It's hilarious. I don't know why I love it. I just love it. And, And I hate that thing now. Like, like if I had a kid and my kid wanted that, like this is the only present I want, I'd be like, you're not getting that present because that doll is Stephen Jones and I hate it and I won't have it around me. I'll stomp it into the ground. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check that out now. And uh, guys, if you're not familiar with uh, Not To Be Tried, his new name on Twitter, I believe, I just saw it, um, I believe earlier today was Dak Mascot. But if we, not only is he a very uh, humorous, funny gentleman, but he's, a very uh, intelligent, he'll, he'll share some stats with us, some numbers will lead that'll really open up your eyes and see how just really how good Dak Prescott is there. So if you're looking for another um, uh, good follow, whether it be Cowboys content or just funny content or just, you know, a good a, uh, a good football follow, not to be tried as someone I would highly suggest. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't even notice his, uh, his name change on there. Uh, I, I, talked to him today and i you know you don't just don't look at that really so i didn't even notice that i was too busy laughing at the stephen jones doll well mike just to recap you have the uh the saints winning this division at uh, 11 and 5 and it looks like i uh what i'm doing my notes i thought i had the saints winning this division but actually i had the uh, tampa bay buccaneers winning this at 12 and 4 i do think week 17 could prove again to be a a pivotal week for both teams there. But again, on paper, I do have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the NFC South at 12 and four. I enjoyed the discussion tonight, man. I, uh, we, we agreed more than I thought we would, which, which I found very interesting, but again, a good conversation. And I, uh, it was fun as always. Yeah, it was great, man. And we, we extra agreed, like agreed, agreed. <laughs> to, like really yeah, That was agreed. weird, dude. That was yeah. That was that, that was third one. I was like, "Get the hell out of here!" Sure enough, I know, man. Yeah, I had to have my wife confirm. She she's been sitting here listening to the uh, entire recording, so I didn't want you to. I didn't want the audience to think that we were just kind of making it up. But you know, that was just crazy when we went three for three there. 
we don't share notes. We say it every episode. We have a we have a sheet that tells us what we're going to go over, but we did not share our notes or our results because it makes it more fun. It makes it more uh, uh, genuine, in my opinion. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Well, Mike, I don't want to take up your entire night. So, we'll uh, as we're wrapping it up, just remind everybody where can we find you at on Twitter? I'm at at CD Piglet, guys. And again, guys, I am Paul Ryan, and you can find me at Paul underscore Ryan 15. Again, I appreciate you joining us tonight. It was fun, and we'll see you guys next week.